We have a health care crisis in our country today. And 70% of the health care dollar, if you factor out insurance companies, is spent on chronic diseases. The top chronic diseases in our country today are coronary artery disease, second, cancer, and third, diabetes. By the year 2050, if the current uh, trend holds, we will have every third person in the country with diabetes. Now to understand the magnitude of that problem, you have to understand that today, it takes $10,000 a year more to care for a diabetic person than a non-diabetic. So picture uh, a third of our population times $10,000 and you know that we are going to have a major health care crisis. Now you have to also remember that uh, we know how currently to prevent much of the burden of chronic disease. We can prevent 90% of coronary artery disease we can pre uh, prevent 90% of diabetes, and if you factor in smoking cessation, we can, with diet, prevent 75 to 80% of cancer. Can you imagine what would happen if everyone in the country adopted the recommended diet? we would then have a new health care crisis. Hospitals, their administrators, doctors and nurses would be coming to the farmers to look for work. <laughs> the uh, medical care of the future should be delivered by nutritionists and farmers because that is where the biggest savings will occur. There is, however, one small problem, and that problem was first identified 2,000 years ago. Before I tell you about that, what's the number one cause of death in this country today? I hear heart disease, anyone else? Cancer? No, you're all wrong. The number one cause of death in this country today is people doing what they know they shouldn't do. And the number two cause is people not doing what they know they should do. You see, Paul, 2,000 years ago, said, the good that I would, that I do not. And the evil that I would not, that do I. How many of you are living up to all the light on health you have every day? Yeah, so that means you're like Paul. The good that you would, you know you want to get up and exercise. You know you should drink that water. You know that you shouldn't eat those sweets. But you've got a problem. And that problem is why we have a health care crisis in our country today. The good that I would, that I do not. Our problem is not a lack of information. It's a lack of doing what we already know we should. I will not tell you anything here today that will change your life as much as surrendering to Jesus. Because, as I told you this morning, Paul also wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, he said, I pray, God, that your whole mind and body and spirit be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord. Faithful is he who called you, who will also do it. The biggest problem that I have as a physician 
is getting my patients to do what they already know they should do. And the second problem I have is getting myself to do what I know I should do. Because we all are sinners in need of a Savior. And I want you to know that you can't ignore your body. You have to care for it too. We're stewards. We're given life. But caring for our body is against our nature because we have a fallen <laughs> sinful nature. We're selfish. And selfish people do things that aren't good for them. Are you in that category? Yeah. So the first thing that you need to do as we talk today is recognize that you're not going to like what I have to say. That's your sinful nature. And number two, you're not going to be able to do what I tell you to do. And neither can I without help. Well, you may do it for a while if you're really afraid, but it's really hard to do what we should do. And that's our sinful condition. But Jesus will deliver us from that. Aren't you glad? So if you want to see sustained change in your life, get down on your knees and ask for help. Because that's where you're going to find it. You're not going to find it in this lecture today. I wish I could tell you that I have some startling revelation. But I don't, other than we need Jesus to change us. Because when you're really in love with Him, you have the motivation to live so that you can bless others as He has blessed you. And so you can point them to eternal life. I just want to make a couple things uh, abundantly clear. And the first one is, diet does not convey immortality. Okay? I don't care what you eat, you're not going to live forever because of what you eat. The tree of life ain't here. It's not here. And even if it was, we still need that change that only Jesus can get. Lynn, would you go back and get my notes that are in the cabin? Just in case I forget where I'm going, right? Okay, so I want to talk about physiology and I want to talk about disease and diet and how to reverse uh, a problem called aging. We can't do it all the way, but we can slow it down some. And uh, I can tell you that aging is way better than the alternative right now. You know what the alternative to aging is? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to go there yet. Unless the Lord calls me there, then I don't want to stop. Our time is in His hands, is it not? Okay. So uh, let me talk to you about glycation first. Glycation. Glycation is really important, and this has to do with diabetes, but it also has to do with people who are not diabetic. Any diabetics here in the audience today? We got a few. Okay. So, uh, has anyone here besides the diabetics heard of hemoglobin A1C? Yeah, we got some people that have heard of it. Uh, so, what does a hemoglobin A1C mean? Okay, we have someone that's educated here. She says it, it reflects your average blood sugar for the last three months. But what does it mean? It's the amount of sugar sticking to the red blood cells. But what does that mean? Ah, no, sister, it means much more than that. You see, when sugar attaches to the hemoglobin in the red cell, it changes the structure and the function of the hemoglobin. Red blood cells are about seven to eight microns in diameter. Yeah, that's bigger than seven to eight, but you can see it, right? 
capillaries are three to four microns in diameter. That's a beautiful design. Our red cells have to be squished to go into those capillaries. That maximizes the surface contact between the red blood cell and the capillary, facilitating oxygen transport out to the tissues and carbon dioxide uptake into the tissue. I mean, into the red cell for excretion. Beautiful design, but if you attach sugar to the red cell and stiffen that red blood cell, how are you going to shoot it through a capillary this big? My brother says it can't. Oh, yes, you can, but you have to up the pressure, right? So I know that if my diabetic comes in with a really high A1C, on average, their blood pressure is going to be higher as well. And if they're not a diabetic, but in the habit of eating a lot of sweets, their blood pressure will tend to be higher too. But does sugar only attach to red blood cells in the body? No. Sugar attaches to all proteins and to fats as well. This chemical reaction called the Maillard reaction, that's M-A-I-L-L-A-R-D, French Maillard, I think, was first described in 1912 by Dr. Maillard, who was a French chemist, a food scientist. And he wondered, what happens to food when we brown it? And he found that sugar under temperature, increased temperature binds to proteins and fats. And it gives us that flavor that we all like. And for years we thought, oh, that's no problem. You don't absorb it into your body. We don't worry about it. But now we know that's not true. When you heat food to high temperature, particularly foods rich in carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Anybody know foods that don't have those in them? And particularly foods that are low in something from last lecture, polyphenolic antioxidants. If they're low in those, those tend to inhibit this reaction. And if they're high, particularly refined sugars, refined fats, and you heat them to high temperature, you form more of those glycated end products, advanced glycated end products. Hemoglobin A1C is one of them. It forms within the body, but you can form them in your food before you eat it. And those age products, I just introduced a new term, age products, advanced glycated end products, age products, age you. Hmm. So how does that work? Let's say uh, Seth here and I decide that I want a house built. And I hire him as my general contractor and we go over the plans and we're all ready and we got the foundation in and uh, here comes the lumber truck from the uh, lumber company and Seth, like a good builder, is there to meet it. And uh, so he says, uh, let me look this lumber over. And he looks at it and all the lumber is twi twisted and bent and, and brittle. What are you going to do to the lumber? Reject it. Reject it. Why? Because you know you can't build a good house with crooked timber, with stuff that's twisted, warped, and not strong. Well, then why are you trying to build your body with that kind of stuff? Huh? Because if you eat food that has a very high level of glycated end products, you're trying to build your body with proteins and fats that don't have normal architecture and that will age you. He would be building me a house that looked much older and more dilapidated than I would intend or that he would like if he built it with that kind of lumber. So if you want to look at a list of foods, 
so that you can know what I'm talking about, all you have to do is go to the internet and look up a lovely article published uh, in the Journal of American, uh, New, uh, let's see, the Journal of American Dietetic Association in June 2010 by Jamie Urabari. And what Jamie did is made a list of 500 different foods and their age product level. Advanced glycated end products in kilounits per 100 grams. And I'm just going to give you a flavor of that list so that you'll understand. A uh, banana has about nine kilounits of aged products per 100 grams. A apple has a few more, about uh, 15. A uh, boiled potato goes up to 17. If you French fry that potato, it goes up to 1,544. Yeah, food preparation has a lot to do with you and what you build your body with. Now, if you're not a vegetarian, you can do some funky things to your food too. You can take a chicken and you can boil it and it has about 900, but if you decide you'll bake it instead, it goes to about 9,000. And if you barbecue it, it's 18,000. But if you really want to get old fast, try some bacon fried for five minutes, 91,500 and some odd kilounits of aged products per 100 grams. Now you could eat the stuff raw and then you'd get trichinosis, so we wouldn't recommend that. And I'd say you're best off to stick with vegetables. Yet you really ought to think about food preparation. Years ago, someone said, food simply prepared, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, low temperature cooking is much better for you, generally. Uh, you want to avoid the high temperature browning and broiling, even of vegetables. Here's the list if anyone would like to look at it. Afterwards, we have 500 different foods there. You might be interested to know that if you roast your nuts, the level goes up to about five to 8,000 roasted nuts. You might want to eat them raw uh, if you're trying to uh, build a good body. Interesting what we can do to our bodies, isn't it? So um, that's glycated end products and diabetes. I haven't covered some of it, but I want you to understand that Sugar clogs the system. It does so very directly, and it can do so indirectly if you prepare your food at high temperature. The worst thing to do is, is to broil. That um, tastes really good, I love it. But since I read this, it's, it's got a kind of a bad taste. Uh, <clears throat> the other thing you can do to really ramp up that level of glycated end products is before you broil it, put some oil on it. Mmm, but it tastes so good. And I'll tell you, it will fry more than the food. It'll fry you too. So be careful with that. Um, so now let's move from glycation. And if you want to talk about um, how you get diabetes and that, I can talk about that as well. But my time's going away since I started late. Uh, when do I end, by the way? Five? Is that? Okay, five. So I want to leave some time for questions. <clears throat> then there's coronary artery disease. The big problem, we talked about sugar, now we're going to talk about fats. The big problem is what? What causes coronary artery disease? Hardening of the arteries. What's, what's the thing everybody wants lower? Cholesterol. LDL cholesterol, right? Is LDL cholesterol good for you or bad for you? Hey, we've got some disagreement here. He says good and the rest say bad. Okay, well now folks, cholesterol. Cholesterol is the basic building block 
of all hormones. Anybody want to try to live without your hormones? No, no, you can't do it. You need cholesterol, and LDL is just cholesterol. That's, it's cholesterol and fats packaged by the liver, leaving the liver to go out to your cells because they need it because they want to make some hormones. There's nothing wrong with LDL cholesterol unless it's oxidized. Once it's oxidized, you're in trouble. Now let me give you an illustration. It's a little hard for you people from down here in the south to understand this, but if you visited me in Maine, if we went home right now, um, I'm not sure what the temperature would be, but I can look that up fairly quickly and tell you what the temperature is today. Uh, let's see. It's 39 degrees right now at home. It's quite warm for this time of year. But it would be a little cool in the house since we haven't had the fires going. And if we came home for a visit there, uh, I'd say, oh, this feels about right. And you'd say, boy, I'm cold. Yeah? So I'd say, no problem. We can heat this house up. I'll get it warm in just a minute. So I go out on my front porch and I get my kindling and I get my matches and paper and I light my kindling, get it burning really good, and then I carry it through the house and, and I open, what are you gonna think? <laughs> Crazy, okay, we can do this another way. I got backup oil heat. So I get my oil can and I start pouring it around the living room and I'm looking for my matches. What are you gonna do? <laughs> You're gonna run. This, this sister says she's running. Yeah, so I agree with you. Why? Why do you know? Why? Because you know intuitively that when you're messing with fire, you want to put it in a controlled place, right? You don't want your house to burn down. If I tried that, my wife would be all over me, right? And not in a good way. Yeah. You know intuitively that you want that fire happening in the stove or in the furnace. Guess what? The same is true of your body. And this is a critical thing to understand. You want to get your fats into your mouth and down into your stomach and up into your blood vessels and all the way over to the cell into the mitochondria, the, the furnace, the stove of the cell, and have them oxidize there. Oxidation is the same as burning, okay? You know if I carry kindling on fire through my house, sparks going everywhere and smoke, I'm gonna be doing damage to my house and I may burn it down. And I'm telling you today that if you do the same with fats, you will burn your body down. You'll harm it. Now what does the body do if you do that? Well, it has a really nice system. If you eat burned fats, or fats that are oxidized, the body packs it in the LDL, but now it's oxidized LDL, and it still carries it down the arteries, but the body has something that sees that thing sparking along through the artery, and it says, this could cause damage, and so I'm gonna take care of it in a cell called a macrophage. What does macro mean? What does phage mean? Eat. It's a big eater. That's what it is. This big eater blows up through the vessel wall and engulfs that LDL particle and it brings it back down out of the blood vessel into the wall of the blood vessel and it tries to digest that LDL. And it does a pretty good job unless you have another fatty meal, you know, a fried this or that or whatever and then you make more oxidized LDL and it eats some more and it eats some more and then it becomes kind of a fat with that oxidized fat and that's called a foam cell. And one day it gets so fat that it pushes back up into the blood vessel lumen and it starts making a plaque there. Oxidized fat is the first step in atherosclerosis. And you can oxidize vegetable fats too. They're not as bad as oxidized cholesterol and burned fat, but you can oxidize them. So if you're wanting to reverse 
coronary disease, the first thing you're going to do is eliminate animal fats. Why? Well, how many fishermen do we have here? Anybody that's owned up to gone fishing before? Okay, we got a few. Okay, we got one right on the front. So you, you go fishing and you pull that fish out of the water. What does it smell like? Fish. <laughs> All right, he hadn't been fishing in a while. Anybody else? It smells like the ocean or like water. It doesn't have much smell at all. Then you put it in your cooler, you take it home, you put it in your refrigerator, but before you do, you smell it. Then what does it smell like? Fish. Yeah, what's happened? Oxidized. The fat has already started to oxidize. Up in Maine, we, they do a, a bunch of deer hunting. And what do they do with the deer when they kill it? Got it? And then what do you do? Hang it. Why do you hang it? Drain it. What other reason? Age it. Because we've gotten used to that flavor of oxidized fat. And then you cook it. And you oxidize it a little more. So that's why animal products, the minute you kill that animal, it starts to oxidize. It doesn't have it. But you know, Plants are a little different. There's these things called seeds, and they want to stay alive a long time, and so the body packs those with fiber and antioxidants and all kinds of things around them to keep that fat from oxidizing. And it'll stay good a long time unless you break that down. How long will wheat stay good after it's ground and you break that germ? Anybody grind wheat? We don't have any bakers? 24 hours, something like that, sometimes up to a week. But it'll go rancid after a while, and rancidity is oxidation. And so you have to be careful even with vegetable fats. Nuts, they can go rancid, don't eat them, because you don't want that oxidized fat. It's, uh, it's burning, oxidation, burning, same thing. Not good for you. So what kind of a diet would you recommend to my patients who have coronary disease who want to reverse it? You'd want a diet that was relatively, well, that was very low in oxidized fat, as little as possible. So you'd want to take that fat and you'd want to eat it as nature packs it, right? So anytime you do something the way nature's packed that fat, you're asking for problems. So that's why Caldwell Esselstyn and others have said, no oil, not one drop if you've got coronary disease. Oh, that's really hard to swallow, isn't it? Now you know why they say that. Now, does everyone need to be on that diet? No. Only those that have coronary disease or don't want to get it. The rest of you, it doesn't matter. In fact, I'd encourage you not to worry about your heart at all because your heart's going to last as long as you live. That may not be true with your head. And remember, blood flow to the head is critical to maintain the mind. Strokes, multi infarct, dementia, a lot of Alzheimer's so-called is poor blood flow to the brain from the same thing that causes coronary disease. In fact, the greatest risk factor for, quote, Alzheimer's disease is the same risk factor as for coronary disease. They're really, by and large, atherosclerosis, except there are some genetic types the APOE3 and APOE4 and some of those. Those genetic, yes, but even those, if you're careful with your diet and you have high levels of polyphenolic antioxidants, those of you who were here last hour, your level of dementia goes down. So oxidation and glycation are critically important in slowing aging, Slow, lowering the risk of complications of diabetes and the risk of coronary disease. Now let me talk briefly 
about uh, cancer. Um, in Maine, we have this problem called snow. You probably don't see it much here in Jacksonville. I love snow. It's a wonderful thing. It makes the world white and reminds me that there's hope for my sins. Jesus said he'd make us white as snow and there's nothing whiter than snow before the sand truck gets to it. Um, I love snow. Yes, I do. But you know, we got a problem in Maine and uh, that problem is uh, on these long, cold winter nights, we tend to like to eat. And uh, so uh, we think about that. You people down here probably don't overeat like we do up there. No one here, I've, none of you are obese. I'm glad to say that. You're all thin and perfect weight. I'm glad for that. You know, cancer, it has this thing uh, that's a problem. Uh, it, it likes to grow. And up there in Maine, when the snowplow comes, it tears up my front yard. And uh, then I sit there and I think, well, I guess I'll have to reseed my yard. And in the garage, I've got a, a bag of seeds there, grass seed. Are you worried about my grass seed sprouting in that bag? Why not? It's cold. What else? It's dry. You know that for that grass seed to sprout, it needs the right conditions. So uh, cancer is the same way. Every one of us has cancer. You know that we get it several times a day. I don't mind having cancer as long as it doesn't grow. Well, what's the right conditions for cancer to grow? Well, let's go back to that eating that we were doing up there in Maine when it was too cold to do anything else. There's a uh, protein kinase in the cell. It's called mTOR. Now, um, that's mechanistic target of rapamycin. I stayed up late last night practicing that. Don't, don't be too impressed. Um, mechanistic target of rapamycin or mTOR, what it does is it measures the available food or the available nutrition in your body. And as long as there's not a whole lot of excess, it doesn't send out a signal for growth. But if you, you know, have that extra, extra, and a little more extra, and a little more extra, Pretty soon that mTOR says, you know, there's a lot of calories around here. We should look, go look for a building project. And um, it starts looking. And, you know, cancer won't grow unless mTOR is turned on. But once you turn on mTOR on, especially if you crank up the volume on it, cancer says, hey, this is a good time to grow. So one of the major problems with cancer is overnutrition. Um, and and you, you want to avoid that. Cancer doesn't grow real well. It really likes sugar. Because sugar, you know, it, it's available and it, it, it can grow easy on that. And it likes fat too. Now our bodies like fat and sugar and I don't want you to be eating those uh, and not eating those because we all need it but you want to eat it in the way nature packs it because nature packs it really carefully and it takes your body a long time to unpack it. So if you eat uh, the some raspberries, okay? Nature packs a lot of sugar in raspberries, but it packs it in there with fiber and it packs it in there with something called pectin. And pectin forms a gel, so you absorb that sugar slowly. And as you absorb it, then your body can, can use it and get rid of it and put it out where you need it. And the level doesn't go up real fast. And so mTOR says, uh, not now, cancer. We don't, we don't have enough excess yet for you to really get going. And if it doesn't have the right, the right situation, the right influences, it, it's not going to be taken off on you. You know... 
the last defense that the body has against cancer is starvation. Have you seen people that are really, really skinny with uh, cancer? And you know, you think, oh dear, they're just falling away to nothing. I'm going to feed them. So we tried that. We put them on, you know, IV drips and feed. You know what we found? We killed them faster. So we don't do that anymore. The body knows that if you overeat, you're going to have problems with that. So remember mTOR. There's a whole lot more we could say about cancer, and if you have some questions, I'll get into that. Of course, there are other causes than that, viruses. Viruses cause cancer, and, uh, but diet can influence whether they grow or not. I want you to remember mTOR, I want you to remember glycation, and I want you to remember oxidation, and I want you to remember that the best diet in the world to prevent these is a plant-based diet from which none of the naturally occurring fiber or phytonutrients has been removed. God knew what he was doing when he packed it. Be careful what you do when you unpack it. There are a few other things uh, that I would have you remember about that kind of a diet. Number one, you must eat the rainbow. What do I mean? A wide variety of fruits and vegetables, as many different colors in a week as you can get in. Go for the vibrant colors, the reds, the yellows, the greens. That's where the polyphenolic antioxidants are in those rich, rich colors. Strict adherence to this sort of a diet is not needed for those at low list, at, sorry, at low risk for chronic disease, particularly if they are very physically active. You know, I have some patients that uh, are well into their 90s and, and they're still very active and they're eating a, a much less restrictive diet than this. Am I gonna tell them to go on this diet? No, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut and tell them to stay active because genetics trumps everything. Be very careful who you choose for parents. It's very important. <laughs> but if you did a lousy job like I did, oh, they were nice people and I love them dearly. But if you've got a bad set of genetics, be very careful what you eat. There are a small group of individuals with malabsorption problems that cannot be on this restrictive a diet. And if you're one of those, don't feel bad if you need a little more liberality in your diet. Some people absorb things so poorly they have to eat a concentrated source of calories to maintain their weight. I don't want them to think that all of us just got out of a concentration camp. <clears throat> The diet that I recommend is not a low-fat or a low-carb diet, but it does not contain refined fats or refined carbs. Your food can taste great even if you eliminate oils and even if you eliminate sugars, but you may need to learn how to cook all over again. It's not that bad. I thought I'd gone to Auschwitz when we started. And um, my wife is a quick study. And uh, when our kids came home from college after we had switched, they said, I don't know what you've done to the food, but it tastes better than it used to. It can. And, and if you stop and think about it, how many of you would rather eat a handful of nuts or a tablespoon of nut oil. You'd go for the nuts, why? Taste better, and if you learn to cook with them, be careful of temperature with nuts, remember, but if you learn to cook with them, the food can taste better. The same is true with olives versus olive oil, but you have to learn to cook again. And as I said at the beginning, remember, no diet conveys immortality, only 
Jesus does that. Don't be critical of others in their diet. You know, we need look no further than our own plate. And uh, one more bit of information, or not information, but one more bit of advice. My grandmother used to say, we don't talk about my diet at the dinner table, it's not polite. <laughs> when you sit down at the table, say the blessing on your food and eat it with delight. Whatever it is there, Ellen White years ago said, if you're afraid your food will hurt you, it most assuredly will. Any questions? What about um, steaming nuts or seeds? Okay, what about steaming nuts or seeds or whatever? Uh, steaming is a lower temperature than roasting, and you'll have less glycation. In fact, if you keep the temperature below 350, you're doing pretty well. It's at high temperature cooking that you have problems. Baking's fine, just you don't want to ramp up the temperature too high. It also has to do with the length of time that you cook something. Question here. What's the AGE reference again? Advanced glycated end products. Right, but the uh, periodic. Um, if you want the periodical, you can come get it, uh, the name right here afterwards. Yes? I, I might be taking you off the topic if it's okay, then I'll come up and talk. Well, to you. I'll take a vote. Okay. Uh, raw food diets have become really important. Okay, the question is raw food diets. Um, you, you, it, you have, there are some things in raw food that you do better with, for instance, if, with cooking, many of the uh, levels of the polyphenolic antioxidants go down. But you also absorb some compounds much better from cooked foods. Vitamin A, for instance, you, and beta-carotene. When you break down the cell uh, wall, you absorb that a lot better. I don't recommend a raw food diet. I don't say you can't have a raw food diet. If you want to try it, go ahead. Some people don't absorb things well enough to tolerate that. Others do. Um, so I say some cooked and some raw. We probably ought to eat a little more raw than we do, but I think a balance there is where you're at. Question. What about supplements? I've decided to try a new supplement, food. <laughs> you know, part of the problem with supplements is this. If you look at the studies on them, less than 30% of supplements actually have in them what they say they do. Um, and the other thing is, um, God knows more about my body than I do and he packed things just right for me in food. Now, if you have a malabsorption problem, then you may need a supplement. And certainly, on a strict plant-based diet, you need to either have B12, a definite source, or you need to have your B12 level measured. The best studies I know of are quite old on this. Uh, Victor Herbert and a few others showed that in nor with normal reabsorption and zero vitamin B12 intake, it'll take about 30 years to become de deficient. However, there's a certain percentage of the population, used to be 4%, I don't know for sure now, but a certain percent malabsorb B12 and on a strict plant-based diet, they will become deficient unless they're animals, cows don't make B12, they get it from the only natural source, that's bacteria, and they graze and they eat bacteria with every mouthful, right? And the bacteria line their gut and make their B12. There's some evidence that you make some B12 in your mouth. Problem is, as our dentist says, brush your teeth and you know get all those bacteria out of there and save your teeth and that's all good, but then there's no B12 either. I don't recommend not brushing your teeth. Don't go home and say that. I'm glad my wife brushes hers and she's glad I brush mine. 
you know, it's, it's a polite thing to do. And it's also, I think, good for the teeth. Is that right? Yeah, you can swallow it. Yeah, that's right. So I do recommend that you have a source of B12 in your diet um, or you get your level measured to make sure it's okay. Question. As Adventists, we tend to focus a lot on the diet and yet we tend to fail on the exercise. From what I remember hearing, is that exercise is actually more important than diet in many ways. Okay, so the question is exercise versus diet. Um, exercise is more important if you're trying to avoid disability, but um, it doesn't, the best study that looked at this looked at vegans versus marathon runners on a standard American diet. And what they found is in order for someone to be on a standard American diet, they had to run more than a marathon a week to equal a vegan who walked occasionally. But exercise is critically important, particularly if you want to maintain independence as you age. Uh, the biggest problem as you age is loss of mobility from loss of muscle strength. By the way, advanced glycated end products cause muscle stiffening, collagen stiffening, and weakness. So avoiding that happening will preserve muscle strength to some extent, but there's nothing like using your muscles to maintain independence. Uh, you, you need both. I mean, there are all kinds of studies on exercise, and 30 minutes a day minimum of regular, vigorous exercise. Critically important. As you age, the most important thing you can do is core strength and balance. That will maintain independence more than anything else, core strength and balance. But I say it's both and. Exercise is critical. Diet's important as well. Question. What about pressure cooking? If you're canning, it's a great idea. Uh, the temperature goes higher in pressure cooking, and uh, so uh, you need to keep that in mind, but I don't know the temperature exactly. I don't think you get over 300 with pressure cooking. What is it? 270. 270. So there's the answer. I'm not worried about pressure cooking. Question. Okay, vitamin D levels for good health. First of all, vitamin D is not a vitamin. It's not a vitamin. It's a hormone. Now, how many hormones do you know of that you want to mess with? You've got to be careful. We know a lot of things about vitamin D, but there's more things we don't know. What I do know is sunshine is a really good source of vitamin D. And here in the South you shouldn't need to take vitamin D because there's lots of sunshine. In the north, we don't get enough sun to get vitamin D from November through February. And low vitamin D levels can be very dangerous to your health. I had a patient come in, the normal vitamin D level is debated right now, but the National Academy of Science says keep your vitamin D level 20 or above. This gentleman came in with a vitamin D level of four. What was his complaint? He was a welder and he said, I, can no, I don't have the grip strength to squeeze my welding uh, rod holder enough to get the rod in. Why? Because his vitamin D level was so low. There's some people that come in with very high blood pressure. Why? Their vitamin D level is low. Vitamin D is essential. And if your level is low, supplement until you get it up to 20. Then get sunshine. Then get sunshine. You say, well, I'm worried about skin cancer. Well, don't worry about it. Just have someone look at your skin periodically and cut it out when you get it. Sunshine is not, not directly related to uh, melanoma unless you get repeated sunburns. Don't do that. 
squamous cell carcinoma and basal cell carcinoma definitely are related to sun exposure, but people that get those tend not to get other cancers. Why? Their vitamin D levels higher. So, um, you know, we don't live in a perfect world. I can tell you if you eat a low-fat diet, you'll have less skin cancer. If you eat a diet high in the polyphenolic antioxidants, you'll get less skin cancer. But, you know, skin cancer happens, and um, I would rather have a high vitamin D level and a few wrinkles and a few skin cancers and miss prostate, breast, and colon cancer, which all of those levels go down with vitamin D being up. We don't know if they go down if you supplement vitamin D. Remember, there are photoisomers of D that are not in the pill. Just like supplementing vitamin E, you get one of the eight kinds of vitamin E. Supplementing beta carotene, boy, this is going on a long time. Supplementing beta carotene has been shown to increase the risk of cancer. I don't mess with supplementation because I don't know enough. Unless you've been shown to have a deficiency, I don't recommend taking a supra amount. I recommend eating food, particularly from this lady's garden. She's an organic farmer, and they, we know, have, on average, higher levels of the polyphenolic antioxidants, which are so important for health. Don't push the levels too high. Remember, if you have really high levels, it will cause what you are trying to prevent. How much sun do you need? It depends very much on your skin. If you have dark skin, it takes much, much longer than if you're redhead and freckles and burn the minute you see the sun. Those, those people should live in the north and the rest of us that are a little darker should live down here where we get enough vitamin D. If you have dark skin and are in the north, you need to have your vitamin D level checked and you may need to supplement. We don't live in a perfect world. And I do recommend supplementation when you have proven deficiency, otherwise I don't. Enough on that, I think, and our time is up. Supper is being served. I don't want to keep you from your food, but if you have a pressing question, you can come afterwards. Let's close with prayer. Our Father, may we not forget that it is our own sinfulness that causes death. And no diet fixes that, only the blood of Jesus. Work in our lives so that we may do the good we know. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.